This afternoon at 4 o'clock, we'll be having a ministry celebration here at our church, a time in which we do celebrate some of the things that God has been doing among us, but also a time in which we handle some business matters. You know, every organization has to handle some business matters. And, and one of those opportunities that we'll be discussing this afternoon, we, we will be prayerfully, and I like to put it in this fashion, prayerfully discerning. And I think that's what it should be. It should uh, be a part of asking God's direction. Are we moving in your direction, God? We'll be prayerfully discerning the diaconate recommendation to experiment on a one-year trial basis, moving from a concept of membership to being in covenant and in community with God and with each other. So this afternoon, we'll discuss some of the logistics and some of the merits of that possibility. And we've already had, uh, after this morning we'll be over with, we've already had five information sessions. Two last Sunday, we had one at 9 o'clock this morning, another one that you can still go to at 1045 today. And we had one this past Wednesday evening prior to our time uh, this Sunday, this afternoon at 4 o'clock. But this morning, I want us to explore the biblical background of what it means to be in covenant and in community together. So let's spend a little bit of time kind of looking through that idea of being in covenant and in community with God and each other. Let's start, first of all, by defining some terms. What does it mean to be in community? Well, you may have heard the Greek word for community, which is koinonia. Now, that word can be translated fellowship. It can be translated partnership. It can be translated communion. But one of the other ways it can be translated is community. So when we live in a faith community together, we're basically saying we are God's people and we are part of his church. That Greek word is ekklesia. You may have heard that before. It means the called out ones. We have been called out from living a life in the world to living a life that's devoted to God. So community, or being in fellowship together, being in partnership together, uh, is a part of one, is one of our six core values here at Oakmont, to be in deep relationship with each other and with God. So community is fellowship, it's partnership, it's being in communion with each other. Now how about the word covenant? The word covenant means a solemn oath a solemn agreement, a solemn promise that two people make between each other. Sometimes it is verbal in nature, biblically. Sometimes it is also symbolic in nature. And it binds both parties together in a firm relationship such that it enables us to fulfill the promises that we've made. Now, the word covenant may well come from the idea, and, and you'll be, at least I was fascinated by this, and you may be too, the idea of covenant comes from the biblical idea of cutting an animal sacrifice in two. Think about that now. You're cutting an animal sacrifice in two, and then the person who is making promises is walking between the two parts of that animal sacrifice. 
And symbolically, that person is saying, may what has been done to this animal being cut into, may what has been done to this animal be done also to me. May I be cut in half if I do not keep the bargain, the deal, the covenant that we have made together with each other. So thus, that may be the origin of the phrase, and you've heard it before, cutting a deal. I'm going to cut a deal with you. It came from cutting an animal sacrifice in half. Now, also, the idea of membership. I hope you know that the idea of membership is not mentioned in the Bible. But the ideas and the concepts of calling and covenant and being in community are. God calls his people, Israel, to be in covenant with him and to live in community together. Jesus calls his first students, his first disciples, to live in covenant with him and to be in community with him. So you see, the Judeo-Christian tradition and our earliest Baptist traditions that go back to 17th century England, historically, we've been about God's calling to us, God's covenant with us through Christ, and also our response to be in community with each other and to belong to God in Christ. Now, you also might be interested, interested to know that when our church began in 1964, just in a few weeks, 55 years, when we began in 1964, Oakmont created a church covenant. And you won't be surprised, I don't think, to know that you'll find the word covenant in our church covenant eight times. You will find the word call or calling in there several times. You won't find the word community, but you'll find references to the concept of being in fellowship and being in community, being God's church together. Well, let's take just a moment to kind of fast forward through thousands and thousands of years of church history and see how this idea of covenant has developed. The word covenant is used in the Old and New Testament over 300 times. So it's an important word, it's an important concept. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, you will see that this is the beginning of the covenant making that God has with Abram, who later becomes Abraham. God calls Abraham to follow him and obey him to go to another land, and he promises to make of him a great nation to bless his descendants and to bless all the nations of the world. And then, I want to put some scripture on the screen now, then we get to Genesis chapter 15. Now, we've been in Genesis 12 where God calls Abraham. And then we get to Genesis 15. So the Lord said to him, meaning Abram, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him all right, you ready? Cut them in two. Remember what I told you about covenant, cutting a deal? Cut them in two and arrange the halves opposite each other. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. Now that's symbolic of the presence of God. Okay? It appeared and passed between the two pieces. 
See, there's that cutting a deal. May, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, may what has happened to that animal sacrifice happen to me also. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. Then we fast forward to Genesis chapter 17. And again, we've got a renewal of the covenant. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. See, sometimes that covenant is symbolized by a name change. So Abram gets his name changed to Abraham. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. And You know, if you trace the genealogy of Abram, you get all the way down to Jesus. Kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And then after, in just a few short verses, God invites Abraham symbolically to live into the covenant and institutes circumcision of all male children as a sign of the covenant. Then, next scripture please, we move to Exodus chapter 19. Now God has, has reaffirmed the covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now Joseph has gone down to Egypt and all of Israel has gone to Egypt. Now they've been there for 400 years and God raises up, Abra, raises up Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, out of bondage and slavery. So now the covenant is being reaffirmed again with Moses. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Then again, in Exodus 24, we get the covenant affirmed again. Then he, Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. And Moses then took, now, now we've got more symbolism. Moses then took the blood from an animal sacrifice, sprinkled it on the people. How would you like for me to sprinkle you with some blood this morning? You know, blood is a symbol of life, right? Sprinkled. You, you didn't realize Moses had done this, did you? He sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. All right. Now, we got Deuteronomy 4, uh, where uh, God is telling the people, again, it, it, it's a reaffirmation, don't forget the covenant of your Lord. And in fact, all of the book of Deuteronomy really is a reminder of the people to live into covenant with God and each other. Then we get to Joshua. You know, Moses was not allowed to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. It was Joshua. And when they finally get there, we see that on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he drew up for them decrees and laws. Then we get to 2 Kings. Now, we've had Saul and King David and Solomon who have all lived into the covenant. 
And then we get to King Josiah in 2 Kings. He read in their hearing all of the words of the book of the covenant. It's probably the book of Deuteronomy that we have now that they rediscovered, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments, regulations, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in the book, in this book. And then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Then we fast forward to the prophet Jeremiah and we get a new promise. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then we fast forward to the first recorded incidents, the first sayings that Paul gives us, the Apostle Paul gives us about how Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper with his disciples. This is even before the Gospels were written. This is what Paul gives us. In the same way after supper, he, Jesus, took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then we have the writer of Hebrews giving us more words, but the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. And it's founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete in aging will soon disappear. And then the final scripture I want to show you has more to do with fellowship and being in community. See, based on the covenant, we're now God's people. And 1 John writes, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship or koinonia or community with each other, with us. And our fellowship or community is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia, community with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Thanks for putting that scripture on the screen this morning. So, what does all this scriptural history and tradition mean for us? Well, it's simple. God has made a covenant with you and with me. He's cut a deal. And that deal involves the work of his son, Jesus. And the primary question of Scripture, and this is important for us to understand, the primary question of Scripture is not, are you a member of a church? The primary question of Scripture 
even though it's been an important question, it's not been the primary question. The primary question of Scripture is not even, have you been baptized? The last time I checked, the thief on the cross didn't get a chance to get baptized. But Jesus said to him today, you'll be with me in paradise. The primary question of Scripture is, have you said yes to the covenant, the covenant that God has made with you through the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. God has cut a deal with you and me that he has never broken and will never break. So the issue is, will you and I live into the deal and not renege on the bargain? That's the primary question. Now, a secondary question also is, God still calls us, once we've lived into the covenant, to live in community. So, a primary issue is, are we living in community with each other in fellowship? Are we a part of the ecclesia, the church? Are we a part of the called out ones? Because you see, that calling has come to you and me also, to worship together, to serve together, to pray, to love, to support, to teach and learn from each other, to do life together. So you expect me, I think, to be able to give you some verification that, number one, I'm a Christian. I had an experience when I said yes to the covenant. Number two, you expect me to be able to say, yes, I've had a calling to be a pastor. And number three, I think you expect me you want to hear from me that I've had a calling to serve in this local congregation. There shouldn't be a double standard. If you expect me to offer that type of verification, why shouldn't that be the case for all of us? That God has called me to be his child, to live in covenant with him. And that God has called me, you, specifically to live in this community of faith where we pray, worship, serve, learn, and teach from each other. Shouldn't those expectations apply to all of us? Tracy Hartman formerly was on the faculty of the Baptist Theological Seminary at Richmond for 18 years until it closed its doors in January of this year. It closed for good. And so she describes the closing chapel service held back in January. And she said, you know, it was kind of like a funeral. She said, we told stories that made us laugh and cry. We sang songs. They read scripture. They prayed prayers that helped them make sense of their loss and their grief. They gathered around the Lord's table one more time. And then they carried the symbols of their school and their worship out of the chapel. That final act, she said, was a powerful way of saying that although they would no longer gather in this particular place, that their legacy would live on forever through the lives and the ministries of teachers, faculties, staff, students, and alums. Then Tracy Hartman writes that 
two weeks later, about two weeks later, after the seminary closed its doors in that final chapel service, she writes that their family's 15-year-old dog died. Sad time in their family. So early on a Saturday morning, as she and her husband prepared to bury their much-beloved pet, their next-door neighbors on both sides saw them outside, saw what was going on, and came over to help. After working loose the wet soil and lowering their beloved pet into the ground, their next-door neighbor, who happened to be an Anglican, a good layperson, did what Tracy Hartman said neither she nor her husband could do, who were both ordained clergy. The Anglican neighbor prayed for them. And after that, they cried together. They gave thanks for a life well lived. And then Tracy Hartman asked this question. She said, could we have buried our dog on our own? Of course. Could members of the seminary community dealt with the closing of our beloved school in our own ways? Yes. But there was tremendous healing power in walking through these events, in participating in these rituals, in community. In community. Folks, we need each other. We need each other. And the most important thing that you and I will ever do in our lives is to hear and to respond to God's call in our life. And that call entails living into the Jesus New Covenant. And part of living in that Jesus New Covenant means living in community. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. We lean on the everlasting arms together. We need each other. God's cut a deal with us. And he's always lived up to his side of the bargain. Have you?